what is your comfort movie? Like, what's your comfort movie? Like, a, a movie you can watch over and over and over again. Go ahead, Samuel. Captain America, Winter Soldier. Captain America, Winter Soldier. Why do you like that movie, Samuel? Winter Soldier's your favorite? Yeah. Okay, okay, that's a good one. So Captain America. What else is your comfort movie? The movie that you like to watch over and over and over again. Ben, what is it? Cars. <laughs> is that really it? It's a great movie. Cars. It's a great movie. So I knew these two girls who once watched the movie Coco in the theater 17 times. It's a really good movie. <laughs> 17. I'm talking, there's something that is deep within them that they need to go to somebody to talk about, uh, to, that the movie Coco is somehow addressing that. Uh, what else? What else are your favorite? Go ahead. How to Train Your Dragon. What, How to Train Your Dragon. That's a great movie. How to Train Your Dragon. Pa- parents, any other ones? Go ahead. That's a long movie. That's like four days. <laughs> oh, but it's so, Jack, there's enough room on the door, by the way, for both of them. She could have helped them up. Uh, it would have been fine. Hey, any other, any kids, any other kids? Oh, okay, David Rondero wants to tell me his. Go ahead. The original Rocky movie. Other kids, the, your movie that you like. Parents, what's the movie that your child watched over and over and over again. Go ahead, Marilee. Oh, you forgot. Go ahead. Wally. Wally. Go ahead. Go ahead. Violet. Encanto. Go ahead. Monsters Inc. These are great. Last one, Mary. Go ahead. Lego. The Lego movie. That's a great one. And so, yeah, when you have your comfort movie or your comfort show, what happens is, is we call it comforting because you know how it ends. It's like, you know everything's gonna turn out a certain way, and so you can just sit back and enjoy it. A lot of these movies, you have the dialogue memorized, or a big parts of the dialogue memorized. But here's something else that happens when you watch a movie over and 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 over again, is you start to see what's called Foreshadowing. Everybody say foreshadowing. foreshadowing. So here's what foreshadowing is, is when something happens early on in the movie and it gives you a hint as to what may happen later in the movie. There's a hint or an image or a reference or something that happens early in the movie that points to something greater to come later in the movie. So like the movie Finding Nemo. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo. So Nemo gets lost. Where does Nemo end up in the human world? Do you guys remember? Where does he end up? In a fish tank. In a doctor's office. In a fish tank. And they're really scared about getting taken out of this fish tank because there's a girl who wants to get him. It's a long story. We're not here to talk about Finding Nemo. But what happens in Finding Nemo is when they're in the fish tank, somebody tries to get Nemo out with a little tiny fish net. And do you guys remember what all the fish do to help Nemo get out? Do you guys know anybody remember? Do you remember, Charlotte? They all the fish jump into the net, the tiny little net, and they push down to where the person can't hold on to it, and Nemo's free. And so it's something that happens in the middle of the story. 
but it actually points to what happens at the end of the story. Nemo ultimately finds his dad. But as Nemo and his dad are, are getting there, a giant net from a boat comes in and swaps up thousands, hundreds of fish. And what do you think Nemo and his dad tell all the fish to do? What, Samuel? Start swimming down. Put pressure on the net, and the net breaks. All the fish go free, and Nemo gets to go back home. It's, it's something that happened in the middle or early in the story that pointed to something greater that would happen later on. And here's the deal. The Bible works the same way. The Bible works the same way. Who is the hero of the Bible? Jesus, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What's the central event that happens in the Bible that changes the world forever? Go ahead, Samuel. Jesus dying on the cross, the gospel, this good news that he's come to, to give life. Here's the crazy part. Even way back, what's the first book of the Bible? What's the first book of the Bible? Can one of the kids tell me? The first book. Go ahead, Nene. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve happens in what book? Go ahead, Theo. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. Even in the book of Genesis, we see Jesus talked about. We see Jesus foreshadowed. Even though they don't say the name Jesus, we see hints of Jesus and his work that are going to happen later on thousands of years before it happens. So everybody turn to Genesis 22. Turn to Genesis 22. Parents, it'll help if you read along with your kids. We have the blue Bible in the back for you to do that. Um, you can put your arm around your kid, help them read along in the Bible. Would love that, would love that, would love that. So in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. And, and he says to Abraham, I am going to bless you. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your family will become big. It'll become this great nation. And you will be a blessing. This great nation and what comes through this great nation will be a blessing to everyone. The entire world. All nations will be blessed through you. Now, we ultimately know that that blessing comes through, through Jesus. Uh, but, but here's the problem. God's telling Abraham, you're going to have this big family. You're going to have these kids that have kids that have kids, and you have grandkids and great-grandkids, and your family's going to become this big, giant family that, that Jesus will become a part of one day, and, and he will bless all nations. Now, it doesn't say all that, but he says, at this point, he knows you're going to have this big old family. How many, who has a big family in here? Raise your hand if you have a big family. I have like 24 first cousins. I got a big, big Italian family. We're not a nation. We're not a nation. There's not a nation of Skimberies and Messinas and Robinsons running around. So, so he's like, you're gonna, have, you're gonna have a child and all these things are gonna happen. But what was the problem with Abraham and Sarah? Does anybody remember? If you've heard this story before, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. They couldn't have kids. And so they're wondering, like, well, we're supposed to have kids, and those kids are going to have kids, and those kids are going to have kids. Or our families have become this big nation. Like, if we can't have kids, what, what, God, what is God doing? And they kind of laugh at God, like, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. When Abraham is 100, 
and Sarah is 90, God says to you, remember all that, those promises I made you? They are going to be fulfilled through your son. You're going to have a son, Abraham and Sarah. And do you know what Sarah did? She, what, did she, what did she say? She laughed. Everybody do a fake laugh. Yeah, so there's, it was originally a sarcastic laugh. Like, come on, there's no way. We're old. We're like old, old. Like, we're, we're old. We're very old. And, 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 and we're not going to have a kid, so they laughed. But then guess what? Sarah got pregnant with Isaac. The son of promise, through all these blessings would come through. And then they laugh again a second time. Everybody laugh again. Do it, do it, good laugh. Yeah, it was a real laugh this time. It was a laugh of joy because the promised son had finally come. Now, look at Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. God said, Take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, parents, this isn't a sermon I, I was planning on preaching at a family service, uh, but it's the one it landed on, and it's God's word. And so I know it's a little brutal. It's a little shocking. God asks Abraham to do what? To sacrifice his son. Now, this is shocking for two reasons. First, it's shocking because do you think Abraham loved his son Isaac? Yeah. Yeah. Forever he wanted a kid. And he finally gets this son, this, this beautiful son. And they're living life together. And, 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 and Isaac's growing up. And, and these things are happening. So, I mean, if you told me to willingly give up my son, it would be very, very hard to do. Because guess what? My kids are crazy, but I love them. I love my kids. Here's the other reason it's shocking. What had God promised to do through Isaac? God promised that through Abraham and his son Isaac, a great nation would come about. Thousands and thousands of people, he said, you will have as many children as there are stars in the sky. Have you guys ever tried counting all the stars in the sky? Yes. It's hard. It's very hard. He says, you're going to have a ton of kids. You're going to have a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. So my question is, is, and here's why it's shocking, is how can all that happen if Isaac is dead? God promised he would do this stuff through Isaac, but now God's telling him to sacrifice Isaac. Will Abraham be faithful to God? Look at verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Now Isaac isn't a kid here. He's not like a baby. He's probably a teenager. Uh, he can have conversations, uh, you know, that, that, that matter, deep conversations. And so when he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come to you again. Now, this journey took about three days on a donkey. Has anybody ever ridden a donkey before or a horse? It's a long time to ride a donkey. I, I ride a motorcycle for about two hours and I get 
uh, you know, it's like I got to get off and walk around a bit. This is a long trip. And they go to a place called Moriah. Now, later on, we're told that Moriah becomes the place where they build the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah. So they're in and around Jerusalem at this point. That's kind of important to understand. Look at verses six through eight. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand in the fire and the knife. So when they both of them, so they, they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, I, I see the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. So they're heading towards the destination together. I, I picture Isaac Asher's age. And Isaac has wood on his back and they're carrying this wood and they're climbing up this, this mount. And uh, you know, they're in and around Jerusalem and, and Isaac goes, I see the stuff of fire and I see the wood and you got a knife in your hand, but I don't see a lamb around here. Where's, where's, where's the animal for, for the sacrifice? And I don't know if Abraham really believed that God was going to provide the sacrifice or not or what he was going to do. He says, God will provide, but I sort of stop here and ask, does this remind you, kids, I want you to, does this remind you of something? A father willingly giving up his son. The son carrying wood on his back up a hillside near Jerusalem. Does that remind you of anything else that happens in the Bible? A father willing, I saw the lights went on in your head, Samuel. A father willingly giving up his son. The son willingly carrying the wood up a hill. Go ahead, Samuel. Yes. It's a picture of Jesus carrying the wood, the cross on his back. Were you going to say something similar, Theo? Same thing. We see the Father, God, willingly offering up his son. Now, does this say Jesus anywhere here in this passage? But it's foreshadowing what might happen with Jesus later on. And we know what will happen with Jesus later on. Look at verse 9 through 12. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. Again, Isaac is probably a boy allowing this to happen. Yep. <laughs> then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son from me. So remember, Isaac isn't a baby here. He willingly offers himself up. Abraham passes the test. God intervenes. And then we're told that Abraham fears God. What do you think it means to fear God, kiddos? Do you think it means to be like, ah, it's God, like a, like a boogeyman under your bed? It means to 
love God, to revere God, to respect God, to honor God. Abraham loved God, respected God, obeyed God. He he loved God so much that he was willing to give God the thing he loved most. He had faith. But parents, your kids may not pick up on this, but I want you to pick up on this. His faith wasn't in a vacuum. He's not like, hey, dude, I need you to just just kill your kid. No reasons asked. Hey, figure it out. Are you going to obey me or not? Like, it, it didn't happen in a vacuum. Abraham had faith, but the question is, is what did he have faith in? He had faith in God's character, and he had faith that God would fulfill his promises through Isaac. He had faith in God's character and faith that God would fulfill his promises through Isaac to make his family into a great nation, to bless all nations through him. In Hebrews 11, 17, 19, by faith, when God tested Abraham, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, so Abraham who had owned the promises of God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so a manner speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So Abraham knew, this is what Abraham knew, that Isaac would make it somehow. That Isaac would be with him somehow because God had promised that would happen. Does God ever break a promise? So we always obey in light of God's character and promises. So, so kiddos, I want you to raise your hand and tell me this. What is God like? What is God like? Go ahead, bud. What's God like? What's his character? What is he like? Go ahead. It's okay. Go ahead. He's kind and loving. What else is God like? Go ahead, Noel. Oh, I thought you were. Go ahead. He's kind and loving and kind. Good. What else is God like? What else is God like? Go ahead, Violet. He's all knowing. That's a great one. What else is God like, Mary Lee? Oh, Mary Lee, he just didn't know Noel. He faked me out. (laughs) What else is God like, Charlotte? He's, he, he takes, I think I would say he takes joy in us. He takes joy and he loves us. What else is God like? What else is God like? Anybody else? Go ahead. He's almighty. He's almighty. He's all, so guys, we obey in, in, in light of a God who is merciful, compassionate, kind, just, all-powerful. And what promises, here's a harder one, kid and parents. You may be able to help me out. What promises does God make us? As his children, what promises do we have as God's children? Now, Samuel's killing all y'all parents. And so go ahead, Asher. He promises us eternal life. That in the end, we will rest with him forever. Go ahead, Charlotte. You'll never what? You'll never do a flood again. You can actually push that even further and say, God will always be for us as his children. 
He may discipline us at times, but he's also always going to be for us. Go ahead. What else? What other promises? Huh? He's caring. Are we? Hey, kids, eyes up here. Eyes up here. We're almost done. We're promised that God will always be with us, right? We're promised that God is working out all things for our good to make us more like Jesus. So we always obey in light of God's promises. God made a promise to Abraham. You'll have a son and he has a future. And Abraham knew that God would keep that promise. Look at verse 13 and 14 and we'll be done here. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behold him was a ram. You guys know what a ram is? It's like a big mean looking sheep. Yeah, the football team. Is it the Colorado? They're the buffs or no, they're the, are they the ram? No, I'm so out of it right now. Caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. It is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Earlier, Isaac asked, where's where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide. And in a sense, he was right. God provides a substitute for Isaac, an animal to die in its place. And it's the last time I'm going to stop here and ask this question. Does this sound familiar? A sacrificial, where's the lamb? A sacrificial offering, a substitute that was going to take the place of this son, a substitutionary sacrifice. Go ahead. Say it. Lamb of God. Yes. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. This is just another reminder, another hint at what Jesus has done for us. God provided a substitute on a hill near Jerusalem. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus took our sin. He took our punishment. He died in our place. He was our sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven. So in this passage alone, in this passage alone, thousands of years before Jesus enters the picture, we see things that allude to the person and work of Jesus. And so when you read your Old Testament, kiddos, your Old Testament so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. This is where my New Testament begins. You have your Old Testament. Which has more pages? Everybody say Old Testament. Old Testament. Now here's the deal. I'm going to show you something. We have a back door that goes out to our backyard, our, our sprawling 10 foot by 10 foot backyard. Uh, we have. And, and that back door is full of smudges. Why is that back door full of smudges? Parents, help me out. Why is it full of smudges? Kids, their fingerprints, dogs, their paw prints, their fingerprints are all over the window, giving me a hint to who's been there. But their fingerprints are everywhere. When we look at the Old Testament, all these pages, we see the fingerprints of Jesus everywhere. 
we see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament, even though it doesn't say, hey, this is Jesus. We see foreshadowing. We see events. We see types. We see people. We see places that point us forward to the person and work of Jesus. That the Father will willingly give up his Son. That the Son will willingly give up himself as a substitution for us sinful people who God made a way to be saved.